the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, thank you very much. I forgot who recorded that. <laughs> anyway, like the guy said, this is Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning, 11 to noon, throughout the pandemic. The uh, Actually, I've done my show from my truck when I was stuck on a bridge in Tampa, Florida for six hours and missed my flight. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> but anyway, try to be here every Saturday morning, try to bring you some uh, good, inspiring news. There's... There's always a silver lining, no matter how big, deep, and dark the cloud is. And uh, it's my job to find that. Yeah. And, and by the way, there, there's an awful lot of good stuff happening in financial markets. There's a lot of good stuff happening in a lot of different places. So the, uh, but that doesn't sell headlines. Uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't sell ads. That, that the negative news sells ads. And so you're going to see a lot of that. And I think it's important to try to focus on on the whole picture, not just the negative side. So I'm going to try to balance that out a little bit. The uh, I'm telling you, the uh, I'm excited. The uh, I'm at least financially, as as far as that goes. I think we're in a, in a very good place. I see so many people working together so quickly, and all the material that comes across my desk. You know, I'm looking at those these companies that are. Uh, you know, doing research and sharing research like they've never shared before. They're forgetting the, you know, who's going to get the patent or who's going to get the original idea and they're just working. And that is a, that, that's a big deal. I haven't seen, I've, we've never seen that. You know what else we've never seen? We've never seen the Fed act as quickly and as decisively as they've acted and all the things that they're doing, the stimulus checks. That's never happened before. I mean, never. So, and it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I mean, think about it. Who needs the money the most? And who benefits, by the way, the most from gas prices that are under $2 a gallon? And if you'd have told me that five or six years ago, by the way, I was uh, permanently detoured from purchasing another truck because I used to drive a truck, one of the ones with a big cab and had the, the big heavy wheels on it. I, I got a really good deal on it, by the way. It was a demo, and evidently a lot, they let a lot of people smoke in it, and I brought that up when I was negotiating for the car, <laughs> for the truck, actually. Uh, 
<laughs> so I got a really good deal on that. They, uh, a good deal. Anyway, maybe, I don't know, maybe the salesman knew that the gas prices were about to get close to $4 a gallon and I'd have to take a home equity loan out to fill up my truck. <laughs> Just kidding. It sure did feel that way for a while. Man, I can't believe how much I spent on gas. So that, that permanently kind of pushed me away from ever doing that again. But uh, anyway, you live and learn, right? So back to the uh, the stuff that's good. There's a lot of uh, really good stuff coming up. I'm looking at scans on stocks that are leading the market right now. A lot of them with very reasonable valuations. And, and I did get a question, incidentally. The valuations look good when you look at the full year, but what's going to happen over the next 12 months? And the answer is a lot of companies' revenues are going to drop significantly. And it's probably going to take them a little while to get back to the levels that we were at before all this happened. Notice I didn't say we're never getting back there. Okay. We are getting back there. And it's just a matter of time. How much time? Nobody really knows the answer to that question. That's one of those questions that really doesn't have an answer. And I'm, and I'm really sorry for all of you that, that are extremely upset that when, when you get an answer like that, you know, we don't know exactly. Nobody really knows. And it's just, uh, I guess that's just the way life is in a lot of different areas. And that, that's really kind of the stock market. You know, everybody's looking for that sure thing. You know what you should really do? Look for the thing that's most likely. Notice I didn't say sure thing most likely. The, uh, I said the thing that's most likely to happen. You know what's most likely to happen? Stocks are going to outperform bonds by probably the highest margin than they've ever outperformed bonds. Now, when I say that, I know a lot of people think that I just said stocks are going to do really well. That's not what I said. That is not what I said. I said stocks will outperform bonds because bonds are going to perform dismally. <laughs> Your CDs are paying nothing. In fact, CD could stand for certain death financially <laughs> because their interest rates are not very high and they're not likely to go up. They're just not. Why? Well, we'll get into that later. But the, uh, the bottom line is, Stocks are not going to have to return a whole lot to be able to beat CDs or fixed income. And I guess one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because there was a, there's an extremely well-respected financial publication that published this article and it was showing returns of different portfolios and it was going back like 40 and 50 years. Well, I got news for the guy that wrote that. He's a journalist. It's obvious he's a journalist and doesn't have a really good knowledge of uh, economics or financial markets because he was just spouting history as if, you know, it was just going to repeat itself continuously. That's not going to happen. Interest rates have never been this low ever in this country. The, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Why? Well, let me put it to you this way. Let's say you had a bond and your bond's paying two and a half percent. Woohoo. You excited about that, right? So that's $25 on a $1,000 CD. So you buy a CD for 1000 bucks, you can get 25 bucks at 2.5%. Uh, on a uh, $100,000, that's $2,500, a little over 200 bucks a month 
on $100,000, okay? And what I'm saying is, in the old days, you would have gotten five or $6,000. That's the long-term average. So if you're looking at five or $6,000 versus $2,500, I mean, come on. How do you make that up? You can't make that up. So it's not the end of the world, by the way, because stocks are still a relatively good value. The earnings yield on stocks, if, you, if they were to pay out all their profits as a dividend, the return is close to 5%, or it was before the you know, correction and before the pandemic. And I think it's going to get right back there relatively quickly. It, it's going to get there a lot faster than stocks or, or bonds or CD interest rates get back to 5 or 6%. No sweat does that happen. That, that's an easy one. That's like predicting that the Browns won't go undefeated next year. Okay. That's how easy that is to predict. <laughs> By the way, you know, I think there's only been one football team in the history of the NFL that ever went undefeated. I mean, since the modern days, I should say, after the 1960s. But uh, I just lost my whole train of thought there. Sorry about that. <laughs> so anyway, interest rates. You're not going to get much help from bonds. Bonds are not, bonds are in your portfolio right now just so that your entire portfolio doesn't fluctuate like crazy. I mean, when you look at what the average stock fluctuates in one year, when you look at how much the entire stock market fluctuates in one year, that's a little tough to take for an awful lot of people, especially if you're, you know, past the age of 55 thinking about retiring. That, that's tough to take when you see that kind of fluctuation. Your only other alternative to try to keep that down is short-term like CDs or government bonds or government bond funds, bond funds. They're not going to fluctuate as much as stocks will. Now, CDs don't fluctuate at all that you can see, by the way. If you buy a CD from a local bank, that's called the primary market. That means you bought it directly from the bank. If you bought a CD from, say, Fidelity from a different bank, that's a secondary market. You can buy CDs from banks all across the country, from Fidelity, from uh, E-Trade. Most of them do it today. And when you buy a CD that's from a bank, but it's sold to you through a second party, that's called a secondary market. That's your, that's, that's your education for the day. <laughs> Just kidding. But those CD rates are incredibly low. And if you're trying to rely, if you're looking at returns over the past 30 or 40 years when the average rate was 5 or 6%, now you're looking at less than 1 or right around 1 or anything less than 2, I, I think that you're doing a disservice to the people that are reading it because I know the people that are reading that are not sophisticated enough to know what I'm talking about right now. And when I say, look, yeah, that was paying 5 or 6%. This time it's only going to pay 2 If you've got 40% of your money in there, and 40% of your money is not making 6%. 40% of your money is only making 2%. You cannot reasonably expect to make the returns that those people made that were invested at that time period. Does that make sense? But it's not the end of the world because you can still reach your goals. Stocks are selling right where they're supposed to be. But they have a much better growth rate. And now that this, this pandemic, one of the... Um, oh, silver linings to this really dark cloud is that it is actually creating jobs it's a, it's creating demand for products that we already have the technology for by the way and it's creating demand for products 
that we don't have the technology for today, but we will have somewhere in the next 12 to 18 months. And, and that's ultimately, it's going to be a big help. It's going to help us out. So by the way, the stock market does not wait for that kind of stuff to happen. That's why the stock market's been going up. It doesn't wait. The stock market looks into the future and tries to make predictions. Now the stock market does have a tendency to change its mind like a lot. <laughs> but when it does make that, that move, that's going to be the one decisive move that it's made over the past four or five years. You won't know if this is going to be the one or if this is going to be another head fake. So you got to have a plan to handle that. You need to have a, you don't need to know what the stock market's going to do. You need to know what you're going to do in response to whatever the stock market does. That's what you need to do. What do I mean by that? Well, here's an easy one. Let's say you decide as a, an investor, you're willing to see your account value drop by 30% in the short run because you think that in the long run, it'll make that up and then some, okay? So I got a 30%, we call it a decline tolerance. So if the stock market's been down 50% or more twice in the last 20 years, you got to figure if you're going to live over the next 10 to 20 years, it could probably happen again. That's the safe way. Now, the unsafe way is, is to think that, well, I'm going to anticipate that, or I know my investment advisor is going to anticipate that and step out of the way. Yeah, Really? Do you know how wealthy that person would be? Warren Buffett would be clinging on their on their shoes, begging for a, a tip if somebody could actually do that. So, uh, but the reality, it, it's not the end of the world. I mean, the, here's the solution. I'm going to give you the solution. Figure out how much of a decline you can put up with. Double that number. Put that money in the stock market. Try to do it intelligently. We'll talk a little bit about that later in today's show. Try to do it intelligently and, you know, just get ready to make your adjustments. When should you make them? Not as often as you think. In fact, once a year, once every other year for a well-designed, well-thought-out plan, once a year is plenty, once every other year is plenty. That's plenty. When you come into the office, if you come in for a, the free get acquainted meeting that we always offer people. I'll show you. I'll show you the numbers. How does that work? Yeah. You know, why am I not doing something every day? Well, actually, something's going on in the portfolio every day. The funds that you use are making adjustments on a daily basis. And I really believe as at this point in my career, especially as long as I've been doing this and as long as I've been watching people that having those funds in there that are making the adjustments along the way is a big deal because today, especially nobody has the kind of time it would take to make those adjustments on their own and not making the adjustments, not a good thing, not a good idea, making the adjustments, planning for the adjustments to be made in advance. You don't need to know the time period that would be the most optimal. But you know why? Because it's impossible to know. But it doesn't mean that, that you can't still reach your goals. You just set out a plan. It does not have to be that complicated. And and that should be good news. That some of the, the plans that I've seen, that the techniques I've used over the years, which, by the way, have been duplicated by tons of exchange-traded funds out there now, 
In fact, every strategy I've ever used probably has at least 10 different variations of it that are so close. And when you look at the returns of those funds that are using that stuff, they're really, really close. That's how you can tell they're doing the same things or mostly the same things. So it's actually a, a, it's a pretty good idea. What am I talking about? Well, actually, if, if you want to make it super simple, there are two extremes. One extreme is a value investor, somebody who tries to buy stuff 50 cents on the dollar. And that's, by the way, that's what everybody thinks they are. I'm a value investor. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. People that have done a little bit of work probably think they're that way. People that, that wonder what's going on. What's that old saying? There are three types of people. People who uh, watch what's going on. People who, uh, uh, I can't even remember anymore. People who wonder what's going on. So the people who wonder what's going on, uh, it's because there's so much data to have to, to process. I get it. You know, if I didn't do this for a living, I, you still have to, uh, study somewhat just for your own benefit, just so that you're not at the, the mercy of, of other people out there that, you know, might not have your best interest at, at heart. And that's another issue altogether, but, uh, um, you just want it. There's a certain amount of knowledge that you have to have. In fact, I had a call yesterday. It was it was really a nice call. The guy's been coming to my seminars for a long time. I met with him a long time, a long time ago, and uh, kept up through the years. And they formed this investment club, and they've been doing very well. Uh, they've got a a nice thing going. They they really like it. He might even call in on his show. I, I invited him to. But now that I hear the music, that means I'm going to have to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. You turn my hurt into the first breath of my worship. Beauty out of the ashes. Made a future out of my past. Well, welcome back. You're listening to, I've almost said, look out for the bull. That's actually a website that I'm involved with. <laughs> but this is the uh, Bullington Capital Report. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. My name is Bill Bullington. If you want to learn more about me, if you want to take advantage of a free Get Acquainted meeting, we're doing most of them by phone right now. Um, which, But you're welcome to come in the office because we are more than six feet apart in my office. And uh, we've got masks and hand sanitizer for anybody that wants to show up. Uh, but, uh, you know, feel free to give a call and try to set that up. Um, and we were just talking about, uh, silver linings in this cloud that we're under right now. And one of the things I, I think is pretty good is that the, the stock market was, well, the S and P 500 was actually slightly ahead of itself. It was just slightly ahead of where it should have been. And now I think once the economy comes back, it's right where it's supposed to be. That's a good thing. Now, your small cap stocks have not participated for the past four or five years. Their participation in this has been next to nothing. And so if you have a diversified portfolio, which means you should have some small cap stocks in there by some percentage, you might be a little upset looking at your performance because that has not done as well as the large caps have. Uh, if history is any guide, when the small caps catch up, that should help your performance out big time. So 
that that's one of the other concepts I think you have to get used to when you're investing. It's so hard is that diversification doesn't feel good. It really doesn't. But let me ask you a question. How many times does doing the right thing always feel good? A lot of times doing the right thing is hard. Doing the right thing doesn't feel good. Doing the right thing oftentimes means doing the hard thing. And, you know, the financial markets are no different than any other aspect of your life. A lot of times doing the right thing is the hard thing. And a lot of times it looks like you may be doing the wrong thing. Everybody I know that I talk to, when I show them large cap growth, those would be your large cap funds that concentrate on stocks like Google, like Amazon. Uh, nobody can think that, you know, those companies are ever going to go away or they're ever going to do any worse because they're projecting what's happened over the past 10 years out into the future as if it's never going to change. And one of the things I can promise you is change is coming. It will change. Even Jeff Bezos, one of the things I really admire about that guy, he talks about how the environment at some point in time is going to change and Amazon is not going to be significant. Think about that. Has there ever been a company as successful as Amazon and the leader, the guy who created the, the whole thing is saying one day Amazon will go away. Why is he saying that? Well, because he studied history and he knows that at some point in time, the computers are doing so much and are so powerful and 5G is actually 10G and everything is so quick that manufacturers are just going to set up a website and sell direct from their factories, which I'm, sure is why you see Amazon Prime trucks all over the road, just like UPS and just like FedEx. He's not throwing his hands up in the air and saying, you know, I quit. He's going, no, we're going to compete every day, every way we can. And I really like that about him. But he's also, you know, realistic. And maybe he just realizes that there are very few people that can achieve the success level that he's achieved, you know, because that, that guy's super smart. And uh, that's what actually sold me on him. I was actually kind of wary of him before until I saw that little speech. And now I'm going, holy cow, that, that it's the exact perfect mindset, especially for a leader of a, of a company that, that large. So that's what happens. You know, down the road, people are, it's going to get easier for the small business. Think about that for a second. You'd be able to compete with the big boys. On just about anything at any level. And I know that's, you know, I'm probably talking about 20 years or longer into the future. That's what I'm talking about. But anybody watching what's happened over the past 20 years and say, okay, what kind of trends have happened over there? And what kind of trends make sense to continue? And I'll tell you a, a big trend. Now, if you want to invest 20 years out into the future, buy Hershey's. Why? Because Hershey's makes chocolate and the internet's not going to change the recipe for chocolate. Uh, Hershey's may mess that up, by the way. They, they could. That's another thing I, I always keep in the back of my mind. Uh, Peter Lynch always and Warren Buffett, both of them have been quoted saying you should invest in a company that any idiot can run because eventually one will. And I thought that was hilarious when I first read that. I didn't know what they were talking about, but I thought it was funny. 
what they were talking about is the ability to change to keep up with modern times. Not everybody can do that. A lot of companies are going to are going to go away, which also is a uh, is a good reason to when you're selecting your funds to understand how those those stocks are being selected and, and keeping up with the times. Like one of the uh, funds I like to use is a uh, um, my mind is going to me. It's a it's a value line fund, and it's a dividend paying fund. But they go in and actually they make adjustments on a monthly basis. On a monthly basis, they make a little tweak depending on what the stocks have done. If a stock has gone up so much so that its dividend yield drops, how does that work? Let's say the stock's $100. It's got a $5 dividend. That's 5%, right? If the stock goes to $200 over the next quarter, and sometimes that happens in in a day or two weeks, if the share price goes way, way, way up, let's say it goes to $200 in a month. That doesn't happen very often, by the way, but occasionally. But if it did, if it went up to $200 in a month, they're not going to double the dividend of $5, the actual cash that the company's generating. It's not going to keep up with that. It's still only going to be 5 bucks. But 5 bucks is 2.5% of $200. Now, I'm saying that really slowly so that when you re- listen to the podcast, which you can get on 955thefish.com or you can get on my website, bullingtocapital.com, you can actually write this down and do the math. <laughs> $5 is 5% of 100 bucks. That's pretty easy, right? Okay. $200 is twice $100. When you go to $200, 5% is only 2.5% of $200. And let me tell you something, people being people, it's much easier for people to buy that stock at $200 than it was to buy it at $100 because they just saw it go up a bunch and they project out, out into the future as if that's not going to change. Well, <laughs> maybe it will, probably won't. So why do I say probably? Well, because the dividend yield now is too net. It's still better, by the way, than the S&P, which was right around 2% or so, but the, um, Two and a half percent dividend because the share price doubled. What is my point? Well, a fund that is actively managing that or is waiting, by the way, it's, they call it passive management. Actually, it's doing it by math instead of emotion. So the math says, hey, last month this dividend was five percent. This month this dividend is only two and a half percent. Time to go. It doesn't qualify for highest dividend yield. Gotta go. What did that fund do? It reacted to the share price movement by looking at the dividend yield. It looked at math. The yield went dropped from 5% down to 2.5%. No longer qualifies for one of the top 50 in its category. It's going to be gone. Or if it's not going to be gone completely because maybe 2.5% still is in the top 50, it's going to at least take some profits. It'll take some profits. And uh, and then if the stock price comes back down again, and that's the only thing that changes is the stock price. By the way, the stock price changes based on people's perception of what is going to happen in the future, not what actually happens. So if the perception goes back, oh, well, it's not going to be as good as we thought it was, bam, the stock price goes down big time. 
if the company still keeps along the path that they were going on, which happens more often than not, and they still improve their profits and they still improve their sales and then they raise their dividend a little bit, guess what? It'll add that stock, it'll add more shares back into the portfolio. What's it doing? It's responding to the market, not predicting. Isn't that what we just started talking about on the beginning of the show? Responding to the market, knowing what you're going to do? That's what these funds, they push that discipline. You don't have a choice. The fund doesn't think. It's executing the math. It's just doing the numbers, which I think is a uh, really interesting thing. And Not interesting. I think it's very, very helpful. Look at the math. Try to keep your emotions out of it. And I'm going to tell you, for some people, they can't. They simply can't take their emotions. They can't separate their emotions from their decision-making process. And uh, that's that's going to be a rough, they're going to have a rough time. They're going to have a rough time going through life that way, by the way. And we all know people like that. They make up their mind. This is the way it's going to be, and that's it. You know, I'm going to run through that brick wall head first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, let me, hey, can I give you a helmet at least? <laughs> that's kind of my job, putting helmets on investors. Yeah. But a lot of them will take it off and run through the wall anyway. But, you know, I can't really... Do much about that. That's okay. Yeah, you can try. And so I know that stuff gets kind of deep, but so I thought I would talk about, I've, and I've talked about this before. Here's one of the models, like, like one of my favorite models. Um, it's one of the ones I, I have in my portfolio. By the way, this wasn't even available um, 10 years ago. It's only nine years old. The indexes that I used to build the model have been around for a long time. The actual products weren't available until nine years ago. And I've been using it for the past uh, three years. So when it had, when it passed its five year period, I started using this model. When a, a fund's been around for four or five years, or when it gets up to about a billion dollars in assets, then the fund has a really good chance of, of hanging around, of being around, you know, being profitable for the firm that, that markets that fund. If it doesn't make those numbers, uh, well, five years is not, it's more like the assets under management. When you don't get up to about a billion dollars in assets under management, it's incredibly difficult to run an exchange traded fund because the vast majority of them are charging like one tenth of 1%. Now that's not a lot. That's not a lot of dough. On a billion dollars, that comes out to $1 million a year. One million dollars. The average expense for a fund is about a half a million dollars a year. And that's if they're cheap. So average expense for an exchange traded fund is right around a half a million bucks. They have to file with the SEC. They got to pay all the people that keep track of all the stocks that they're doing. They have to pay the uh, royalty or licensing rights to the strategies that they're using because very few of them actually build their own. So that's it. One of the reasons that I haven't used these earlier or I only started within the last, I don't know, probably last decade. And initially it was pretty rough because when I first started, I would invest in these funds. You knew what they were doing with the money. It was a great idea, but being the only one or one of the few people to recognize what a great idea it was, we didn't have enough money to keep those funds afloat and they would shut down. They would shut them down. So that's something that when you are looking at funds to invest in, you might want to look at how much in, in assets they have under management because when they have to shut the fund down, it's a little spooky when you see a big zero on your statement 
where that money used to be. <laughs> it takes them some time to go through the filings to shut a fund down, to go back to the uh, um, SEC, fill out all the paperwork. And oftentimes, you know, especially back in those days, it, you might not see the money hit your account. You know, once they cash a fund in, they're actually going to cash everybody out and send the money, but you might not see it for 30 days or longer. So that's, that's kind of rough. Uh, stop me from investing in a lot of new funds. So now that they've been around and these funds in particular. So if you want, if you'd like to talk about this, you know, again, feel free to give me a call. You set up, you can do a phone meeting and one on one, I can show you what I'm talking about. But anyway, this, this particular model, it's one of the models I have a significant percentage of my investments in. I call it the value and growth mid cap with semis model. So I've got these two funds that are actually uh, a little bit older than the semiconductor model is. The semis that I'm using for the semi portion of that model, uh, they've been around for about nine years now, which is good. And like I said, we've been using that particular model for about a little over three years. Uh, the mid cap we've been using in some way, shape or form for a lot longer than that. Cause it has been around a lot longer. I think they go back to about 2003. So, but when you do this, what was the idea behind the model? What was the math? Okay. There's, I'm looking at medium sized companies. You divide the stock market between large, medium and small, and basically you just split it based on size. The, the medium sized companies have a tendency to grow a little bit faster than the large companies do over time without the same volatility that you'd get from the smaller companies. It's a little bit slightly higher than the large cap volatility. Not a lot, by the way. And if you give it a long enough time period, generally that makes a difference. How do I explain that easily? Well, Microsoft was probably a better deal at 40 billion than it is when it gets to 400 billion. Does that make sense? A lot easier to grow when you're four, 40 billion. If you have a $4 billion growth, it's still huge numbers. But it's a lot easier to grow by four billion to go up by ten percent than when you're four hundred billion. You got to go up by forty billion dollars for ten percent growth. That's why that does better over time, because the companies are not. Uh, it's not as hard for those companies to grow. So that's the whole. Uh, well, almost the whole thing. Why did I split it up between value and growth? Well, because those two categories, the way that those funds are structured. They tend to put in good performance at different times. And we'll talk about how that helps your diversification process. After these messages, you're listening to Bill Bullington. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. I know it's because you exist in my life. Like hope shining bright through the stormy sky. Welcome back. The Lincoln Capital Report here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. You can also find us on the Fishes podcast, 955thefish.com, or my website, bullingtoncapital.com. Uh, we actually teamed up with iHeartRadio, and this is available as a podcast. You can download it, listen to it anytime you want. And uh, and right now, I'm actually going to go to the phones. I've, I've got a caller in here, a longtime listener. This is Adam, right? 
Yes, sir. Good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yep. I just had a quick question Sure. about um, me as an investor. How, what index can I use to compare my performance versus the performance of the market? Because I know you and I spoke in sure. the Dow Jones index is kind of antiquated. Right. And I don't I don't know if the S&P is really you a know, fair representation. Probably one of the better ones that you could actually use uh, would be either the Russell 3000, which is going to be very similar to S&P, um, or you might use an equal weighted Russell 1000 because that would be more like uh, you know, they're, they're, treating, they're treating each stock equally. One of the, one of the problems that I see with a, a market cap weighted index, and I'm not the only one, by the way, a lot of people share this view, is that the, the top 50 stocks or so end up making an enormous amount of difference in the performance because of the way that they allocate the money in the fund. Now, I don't want to bore everybody to death with all those details. I'm just going to tell you, you if you go do the research, you're going to find out what I said is absolutely true. So a, a better representation might be the equal weight Russell 1000 because that's just base, And there are funds out there that invest in that. And that, that's just treating each one of the stocks, the, the largest 1,000 companies, equally in the index itself. And, okay. in fact, if you go back long enough, you'll find that it's actually outperformed the large-cap market-weighted funds. But over the past five or six years, the large-cap market-weighted funds have beaten everything by so much and that's just a function of money coming into the market. They need an easy place to invest it right away. So they're just going, that's the easiest place to do it. It's the one with the most liquidity. It's not because the stocks are more valuable. Does that make sense? They, they can buy and sell those things really super fast, easily. But if they were going to do what you and I are going to do, they would have big problems because their selling would cause the share prices on a, on a medium-sized company or a small company especially, that, that share price would drop like a rock. So they're staying out of those companies, not because those companies are not a good deal, but because they can't get out of them quickly enough without doing a lot of damage to their self, to themselves. And it's a whole different reason to be buying and selling stocks. And uh, so anyway, and, and actually I was telling the uh, people in the studio, I was hoping you were going to call in today because um, you guys started up an investment club and yeah. Uh, yeah and uh, just appreciate the fact that uh, you guys took that, that step. You, you have the software that needs to do all the calculations. You go through this whole process. My hat is off to you because that that's an awesome thing to do. <laughs> you learn so much more by doing that than you are ever going to learn. Listening to my show reading books um it's you know until you've actually got some skin in the game <laughs> and, sure. and, and an investment club is the perfect way to do that because nobody's actually putting so much money into it that it's hurting them uh and you're following guidelines you're looking for stocks that meet certain criteria uh you know you really get to see the investment process up close most people never get to experience that I think it's a, it's a great thing to do in a social setting because there's not a whole lot of pressure on anybody. And if there is, you know, you can always have the president of the club ask that person to, to leave, you know, and, uh, it, that hardly ever happens. I'm, I'm sure occasionally I, I'm sure it does. I've been around a lot of investment clubs where the, you know, 
where that they've had to go through that. And it's kind of painful, but the uh, the bottom line is, I think the clubs learn so much more quickly when you're doing it together and there's a group. It's a social thing, uh, and the stuff that you guys are learning, you are so much more advanced than the average investor that I talk to. It it's a, a kind of a pleasure for me to be able to talk to you guys. So just wanted to say thanks. Um, you're welcome if you'd like to, to, to promote your club and look for members. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to keep it small, but we've had a blast. Everybody's having a, a good time with it. And it's even better when you make some money. Yeah. <laughs> That's really nice and really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. By the way, if you're not familiar with what investment clubs do, they're actually groups of people that get together. You file a bunch of this paperwork. Who, who's the software company that you use to keep track of your records? We use. Vivio, who handles our tax, compiles our taxes at the end of the year, and we pay $70 a year for that service, and it is worth every penny because we have over 500, sometimes 500 transactions in a year. Yeah. And by the way, our trading platform is Folio. Right. Yes. So for people that don't know about investment clubs, you're basically running, they, they call them limited partnerships. Uh, it's, it's a fund. You're running a private fund. And I'm telling you, it's a lot safer to do it in a group when everybody's only doing 50 bucks a month or whatever you're going to do, whatever the, the amount is. Um, and mm-hmm. that's why you, one of the reasons that you have a lot of transactions is because people are constantly contributing to it and you have to keep all those records. So Bivio, that's good. I've, I'm actually familiar with the software. Uh, it does have very good rankings, uh, ratings rather, from the investment club associations out there. So, um, so that's good. Who, who actually uh, uh, volunteered to enter all the data to, to keep these stuff in there? Is that something you do as a group, or you just have one or two people? We have, a, we have a member of our group who collects the payments, enters them into the system. He's kind of our <laughs> AKA accountant. Yeah. And then we have another person like me who is responsible for entering the trades each weekly into Folio. Okay. And we use a newspaper called Investors Business Daily. Yep. And all we do is take the top 50 stocks, which is a comprised weekly list, and we narrow that down to 20, and we actively manage that. So we just follow the list, and when a company reaches 50%, we sell half. Of our position, when a company reaches 100%, we sell the other half. If the company goes below 20% of its value, if we lose 20%, we automatically sell out if it doesn't already get kicked out of the list already. Okay, let me let me highlight the advantages that you guys have. Because people hearing what you just said, they won't know. First of all, you're, you're cutting losses, you're limiting losses. That's a good thing. Your losses are 20%, which is less than half of what your expected gain is, which is 50%. That puts the probabilities in your favor slightly because you're shooting for two and a half times your average loss. That's a big deal. I'm sure you guys didn't think of it in those terms. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. Uh, depends on no, how long. No, we didn't. <laughs> okay. So that, that's a, that's actually a big deal when people do this, the quants that do this for a living, that's their minimum. <laughs> two and a half times the uh actually a lot of them will go down to one and a half but uh, that's another story those guys are super short term in in nature but the uh anyway so that's that's a really big deal the fact that you are looking at companies that are coming up on a list that's being screened 
for not only price performance, but actually financial performance, also tilts the odds a little bit in your favor. Now, you and I both know that doesn't mean you always win, which is why it's really important to have those rules of limiting losses. Uh, and if you're going to shoot for a potential gain, uh, then to shoot for one that's at least two times what your initial risk is. And that, so you guys are, uh, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, it, I think it's hilarious that you've actually stumbled on that because of what you just said, but that's awesome. The, uh, that's a, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a good measure. Personally, I like to shoot for a stock I think can double. That's me. That's, that's Bill Bullington. That has nothing to do with any math or anything like that. I just like to shoot for stocks I think could easily double in value. Uh, that way, if you're shoot, if you're cutting your losses at 20% and occasionally you hit one that doubles, uh, a 100% gain is five times my average loss. And that shifts the odds a little bit more, uh, or the probabilities anyway, a little bit more. But if I'm buying a bunch of garbagey stocks, though, that's not going to matter too much. Yeah. Well, we do pick a quarter of our stuff. We do have a two. We have two folios. One is the IBD top twenty, and then our selections, which only compromise about a quarter of our portfolio. Right. So we do vote on each stock. Yeah. We present companies and we look at them. Right. And we make our decision. Yeah, that's awesome. By the way, you learn so much faster in a group than you do on your own. Um, it's because you've got so many more eyes, and you get to hear the opinion so much more quickly. So I think that uh, what you guys are doing is awesome. Uh, it can be a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully when this uh, pandemic uh, eases up, we'll be able to do some stuff designed, you know, for uh, people that, that like doing that, you know, in our topics. So. Okay. Yeah. We've had a blast. Like I said, I, we appreciate your show. And without folio, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now. Right. That's the bottom line. Right. That's the key. Yep. And that's cool. I, I will tell you that Folio just got bought out, by the way, by Goldman Sachs. Um, so they just announced that. And I got a call saying, hey, you know, new sheriff in town. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's interesting because uh, E-Trade Advisor Services owned by E-Trade. That's one of the custodians I use. Uh, they also got bought out by J.P. Morgan and Company just recently, right before this pandemic hit. And uh, it's interesting. Like I've, like I'm always saying, nothing is as constant as change. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. uh, but Adam, I'm, well, I'm so glad. Thanks so much to, for your time. Bill. Oh no, thanks for being such a uh, loyal listener and a, a good friend over the years. Yeah, I appreciate you a lot. And uh, feel free to come on anytime you want. Great. You have a great weekend. Thanks, thanks for taking thanks. the call. Well, no problem. You too. Listen to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. Feel free to call me or reach out on my website, BullingtonCapital.com. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck. Good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.